Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often, they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we welcome back to the show Jacqueline Delib. She is the founder of The Soul and Science of Play. And today she's going to be sharing with her and discussing about humor in, and spirituality. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our show. Um, we're excited to have you guys. Um, if you're listening to us, one of the greatest ways you can help us is to click subscribe and like us and leave comments, and that really does make a huge, huge difference. Um, we have some really great shows coming up next month. We have Spell It Out next week, Krista's, you know, do-whatever-she-wants kind of show. And then we have Diane Zingle, who is an expert on the Knights Templar. So we're going to be talking about the Knights Templar, and that's an exciting topic for me as I have a little bit of connection to that myself. And then following her will be Amanda Limpert, and she is the owner of the blog Spooky Eats, and she's a foodie that travels around to haunted places and cafes and inns and bed and breakfast and so forth. And so that's going to be awesome. And then Carrie Kelvis, who is a numerologist, and she will be talking about um, numerology and what drew her to that and her unique methods for that. So all kinds of cool content coming up. So please join us. Um, get all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. And if you're there, leave us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you can so afford it. It helps us with our production costs. And if you can't afford it, we're happy to have you anyway. So please join us and, and for all of our content. And, you know, check out our, our show on our channel on YouTube for any back episodes. And if you're on the go, you can also catch us as a podcast. So listen to us on Spotify or iTunes. Just search Sixth Sense Society, and we are very easy to find. So I'm excited to do this episode. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, so I'm not going to take up too much time. So I'm going to kick it back to you, Krista. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thanks, Michael. Really looking forward to the upcoming shows with some of our new guests. But we are most excited to have you back on the show. Oh, thank you, Krista. I'm really happy to be here. And, and how have you been? Pretty good. Um, definitely looking for ways to make myself laugh. <laughs> Always a good thing, but particularly now is probably really important, I would say. So let's get started on such a, a big and exciting topic to both me and Michael as well. Um, so what, how would you like to start? Well, I thought of just talking about what humor and spirituality, like the just a brief overview of different kinds of humor and even what spirituality is. That sounds great. Well, I came across a teacher in my studies, and it's not even somebody that I, I follow any longer, but I love retaining, you know, bits of gold, even if it's not somebody who's active as a teacher in my life anymore. And I loved his definition of spirituality. I mean, the the dictionary talks about it as that which is not physical, related to the soul. But I loved my old teacher's definition, which is anything that elevates humanity. 
Oh. And I thought, ooh. Okay, well, we can we could put quite a few things into that category. Mm-hmm. And humor kind of fits really neatly if you look at spirituality that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel that it, for me anyway, it's healthy to uncouple spirituality from mainstream religion because they operate in different ways for different people. So, um, yeah, anything that elevates humanity feels uh, inspiring. And then when I think about humor, I realized, you know, I love a spectrum. I, th- I feel like you could put almost anything on a spectrum and, and be able to teach about it a little bit. And humor, just like anything, lives on a spectrum. And, um, you know, it can be used as medicine and it can be used as a weapon. And there's a, there's a crude to elegant spectrum. Mm-hmm. There's a destructive to constructive spectrum for humor. And then there's mean-spirited to loving and like everything in between on all of those spectrums. And when I think of one person who maybe mastered all of that, it was Shakespeare. Hmm. Because although he's a, not a spiritual figure, but an artist, of course, he made a really conscious effort to include everybody in the audience and he would have very kind of vulgar base humor for the peasants, so to speak. And then he would have this very refined thought for the more sophisticated audience members and everything in between for the common man. So, um, so yeah, that's, I I like sort of putting them, putting them in those little boxes for now. We must be peasants, me and Michael, because we like the crude humor a lot. <laughs> that Mozart evidently did, too. I remember reading that about him. So there, there's something about it. I mean, it still has to be done well. There, yes. there's, there's sort of levels of, you know, with humor. Yeah. Uh, there is an art to something really working and not working. And I'm glad you brought up the whole spectrum because humor, what, what passes as humor sometimes is, is mockery to me. Yeah. And, and where you, you're mocking somebody. And I don't find that to be really useful personally, especially if you're the target. But even when you, you know, you can feel really uncomfortable. You see they're really mocking that person's um, disability or the way they say something. And, and yeah. uh, so that, that, though in politics, I think anything goes <laughs> with humor. That's part of it. And I'm not saying it's right, but it seems like that's been part of politics a long time. I think you're right. And I know what you mean, because vulgar humor can be like a really great release where it, for me, where it gets very uncomfortable is when it gets paired with that mean spiritedness. Yeah. Yeah. There's, then it, then it becomes something else. Yeah. So I know I do like that idea of spirituality that elevates humanity. And I'm, I'm kind of mixed after hearing Dr. Holler talk about um, Stephen Holler, who's a Gnostic priest, and he was saying how he didn't understand why people don't like to use the word religious. And he made me kind of backtrack a little and say, yeah, I guess it has to do with what you define religion to be, because I think even the word has to do with, isn't it sort of sewing things back together or something like that? I can't remember. But when he talked about it in the way he did, I remember thinking like, maybe I should not just throw out religion Maybe it's the dogma. Maybe it's the way certain kinds of religions that are very fanatical, and as and, and we'll discuss maybe some that don't allow humor into mm. into the mix. 
Um, so it's it's a it's kind of an interesting debate, spirituality, religion. I think that that you can go either way because I, I definitely was more like like spirituality is how I see myself. Um, but now I'm kind of on the fence, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he gave, I can't remember his argument, but it was actually a fair argument. I was like, okay, okay, maybe I should I should rethink this a little. And 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 also he's he's a very interesting person that that probably would embrace that concept you just said about what spirituality is, that elevation, because he's really into Jungian things and the Gnostics. And so I think it probably depends on, I guess everyone uses the words differently. I think people use the words differently, but you know what I've been noticing is that sometimes like myself just now or anybody, when we kind of use religion in that way, it's a shorthand for the abuses that have come out of religion. I think. And so I even see it online. There was a great quote by Amanda Gorman, who was the poet laureate at the inauguration. She's so young. And she wrote about not wanting her art and the quantity that she produces to be under the yoke of capitalism. And a friend of mine said, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a commercial artist. So how much I make does matter. And I still want to, you know, and I said, I think when when capitalism comes up as a concept and it's shorthand and it's a quick little bite, what's really being meant, what's might maybe being meant is the abuses of capitalism. And I think that religion, that's a shorthand that happens. That, that's a very good observation. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and and we have to ask, is that really fair? But it's it's human. It's a very human thing. Yeah. So, sure. so let's talk about some of your sort of own personal experiences with humor and healing. And, and are there some stories you'd like to share? Yes, I have. Uh, I have some good ones, I think. Um, so a few years ago, back in New York, I'm a New Yorker. I studied improv for several years. And part of the curriculum in an improv school, aside from learning how to act without a script, be in the moment, plunge into the unknown, do that on stage with other people. There are also writing levels where you're actually composing something and then performing a scripted piece. So I remember one of the assignments was to write a monologue about a teacher. The day of the performance, which was for a paying audience, we did a combination of regular improv where we perform and then we brought our monologues in. And what I did was Sister Fox. And Sister Fox was uh, my high school history teacher. And she was a very educated woman, uh, a lifelong, I think, like practically Catholic nun. And I don't know if I told this story in my last talk with you or not, but it's if I did, it's I don't think repeating. so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she had a sense of theater. Sister Fox. And what I performed when I was basically channeling her was what she did one day, literally in class. She got up on top of the desk. And when I say got up, I mean, so she was then, you know, nine <laughs> feet tall. She stood on the desk, clasped an imaginary sword because we were talking uh, about the Crusades and acted out being a Christian soldier in the Crusades. Wow. And she took the sword and she said, and she acted out in the name of Christ Jesus, I kill thee. And I thought, what? 
just happened. A Catholic nun was pointing out to us the hypocrisy of the church in an incredible way. Hmm. And then, um, you know, as part of the performance, I just looked at the crowd as if they were my class and said, why? You know, and maybe not funny in this moment, but it was comedic the way I did it um, because it was also so dramatic, but yet very funny. And I just thought it was an incredibly intelligent way to use humor to educate young girls about the hypocrisy of a church from a freaking nun. Yeah, and you don't really, associate, I don't associate humor in Catholicism. In fact, one can all argue the opposite, is that they at least have periods of time they took themselves very seriously with uh, things that maybe, you know, caused a lot of pain and suffering, and they don't seem to have a good reputation. So that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, she was a character. Um, there was um, another story that, Another two two little anecdotes. One is uh, about 9-11. Um, I, with, with no harm whatsoever, the morning of 9-11, my subway pulled into the World Trade Center in between the first and the second plane hits. So I didn't experience anything, you know, grisly, or, and I was in no danger personally. But it was quite... Um, energetically impactful to be at the scene of that mm. experience. I realized later as I learned about energy and energy healing, it's a big deal to be in a, you know, at a location like that when something like that has happened. Mm -hmm. It's traumatic, even with, you know, without having seen anything. And a friend of mine told me there was an ashram called the Art of Living Foundation that was offering trauma relief through breath work. So for free to anybody who'd been at 9-11. And I found out about it and I went. And this is, that group is a combination of an NGO that works with the United Nations and an ashram with a guru. Um, and normally they charge a few hundred dollars to learn this really powerful breath work, pranayama. And I went and I became for a while a regular and it really did have incredible stress relief because as you probably know, really deep breath work uh, gets you into your parasympathetic nervous system and it really lowers anxiety. Mm -hmm. And when I became a regular and I would go there and you didn't have to be part of the ashram, you could just show up and do the breath work once you'd been trained. And what I noticed, which was fascinating to me, was that an expected part of the release process and the trauma relief process was spontaneous laughing. Hmm. And while, or spontaneous crying, I should add. What happens when, as a regular user of a particularly powerful type of breathwork, and this one's called the Sudarshan Kriya, the prana, the air, it, it's like it works on our system to release issues in the tissues. And um, we have what's called a kriya, which is like a release of energy. And I remember th finding it really 
cool and fascinating that you'd be in essentially a spiritual environment where then we would meditate together and chant mantras, typical ashram. And there was an expectation and an, a real embrace of, that you might have a laughing Kriya and that it's energy releasing and just, it's really sort of this divine experience. Mm. Um, and it's really amazing. And suddenly at different parts of the room, you'd hear laughter or you might hear tears. Mm. And, um, <laughs> and I thought that that was really amazing that that was just expected. That that is a little unusual. I know the tears part from my training in, in sort of Buddhist meditation that you your heart when it opens can feel just really tender. Mm. And um Trumper Rinpoche always talked about it in this really nice way and and um tender and raw even if you're not sad that there's this and uh but recently I've been doing um this qigong exercise I found on YouTube and there's the C17 point in the middle, like underneath your, your sternum, and you put your, your fingers there against it, and you force yourself to laugh. And it actually works. Now she's doing it in the in it's um, Yo, Yochi is this, the, the YouTube channel. She's laughing. So maybe it's a little easier. But I, I thought at first, well, this is going to be hard. And it there's a whole I guess, like you're talking a whole physiological thing that happens, starting at this point. And so you start giggling and you're giggling and then you start, then I usually try to remember a really good joke or something funny. And then suddenly you're just laughing and, and you can feel the, the energy infusing you. And I know that laughter is good for you, but honestly, I've never tried to laugh for no reason. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not an actor, so I, I don't need to do that. And it, it's, it was really interesting that that giggle exercise is part of the, a, a spiritual practice. Side note, the Mayo Clinic and I believe Oxford University in, in London have both and, and other places as well besides those two have studied laughter and the body and the physiological responses. Even fake laughter will lower cortisol and um, increase the feel-good hormones. That's, that is really extraordinary. I mean, I know that's why a lot of us love comedies and, and going to see comedies, though it seems like a lot of comics are depressed. <laughs> so I, I don't know what that's about. Not necessarily comedy troops, but single comedians you'll find often struggle with their own um, health issues and, and making yes. people laugh doesn't heal them necessarily, which is interesting. Um, but that's a little off the topic in terms of humor and spirituality. And let, let's talk a little bit about um, maybe uh, you wanted to, I know, spend a little time with the European history of humor and spirituality. Well, from my brief survey, I will say, but yeah, I just, I looked at a little bit of research and just over the past, like less than a thousand years, several hundred years in the rise of Christianity and actually I should amend that to before that, when Plato was active, which is maybe 400 years before, before Christ. Um, what I noticed from the ancient Greeks and the Europeans is that there's this pendulum and that would be anti-humor and then it would move a little bit towards an acceptance and then it would swing back and forth. So that's what I noticed. And that kind of the net net that I got was a real ambivalence. Hmm. The word humor is also interesting. 
especially in the Middle Ages. Right, right. The entomology, because it doesn't seem to have initially really anything to do with laughter. That's right. That has to do with liquids in the body. Right. And the, the, the four types of humor, the biles, the yellow bile and black bile and and uh, and then and there was a little bit I read an article there was a little explanation of how humor became funny um, oh. it well it was based on it was a, an article let's see if I can get this right the origin of the word humor by Johanna Meyer and it was in Science Friday of all things and at some point um, each of those four humors were certain personality traits which were often depicted in plays and that they would be such, you know, characters that after a while they became kind of funny. And that's how the word humor became associated with, with laughter and humor. It was, um, according to this article, it was um, Elizabethan era plays. And um, they would capture that one personality trait. Now, we, of course, we have how many? 16 personality traits. But I thought that was interesting. And, it, and it initially it had to do, though, the humors had to do with healing balance That's of humors in the body yes and um and that evidently was innovation because that they were looking at the body in a different way so the humor the idea of the word humor actually um was really interesting its evolution i think um they didn't start using it until like 1300 or something like that the word um, but what That's else did you discover about the the european history the ambivalence you were saying yeah well um so plato associated laughter with a loss of self-control and then in his poetics aristotle found laughter to be lowly really and yes although he was apparently plato was more anti-laughter than aristotle in, in whatever degree <laughs> but um it, it was really interesting because in the philosophers the philosophers who, and I'm not an expert in philosophy by any means, but I think there was this reverence for the mind and for reason, and that the body was considered lower and laughter was of the body and mm. therefore to be controlled. And it's pretty similar in the, in the Christianity of the day as well, where the spirit was to be revered and the body was to be controlled and managed. Mm. Same reasoning that laughter was of the body and therefore um, not correct somehow. And there were Greek, I made some notes. There were Greek, Jewish and Christian ascetics, um, who thought that an ideal human never laughed. What? And a lot of this, again, seemed really connected to this attitude towards the body. Mm. Um, and that the body had to be mastered and that. Well, it's so interesting. You look at like, I don't know, people that are evil, if you want to, there have some people, been people I think that really are evil, and they don't seem to laugh very easily. Interesting. I don't know. You That's... think of Hitler? Do you ever think of Hitler laughing? No. No. I mean, no. It, it's, and maybe he did, but it, there's hardly, I don't know if there's any pictures of him. There's nothing, you know, and then, then you look at uh, Obama, who goes on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so what a difference right you know someone that believes and and laughter and humor and and goes along with things and um that's I, i'm i'm sort of depressed that plato and aristotle were like that i didn't know that i i didn't either uh, but then there were swings in the other direction so in the gnostics um in the myths 
laughter was seen as a little bit more acceptable. And the, the reason was there was the beginning of the recognition that there was a difference between material reality, what people's lives were like, mm-hmm. and this spiritual aspiration. And that incongruence seemed like a good reason to laugh. Hmm. And there was the beginning of the recognition there that it maybe had some value. Um, And then there was a really interesting shift in the Middle Ages. But I'm going to, before I tell you that, I just refer to New York in the 80s and 90s. There was a club in Chelsea called the Limelight, which was on 20th and 6th Avenue. The Limelight was a nightclub that was in a deconsecrated church hmm. and looked you walk by and you're like, Oh, that's a church because it, they didn't redesign anything. They kept it looking like the church. So the, and they had backlighting behind all the stained glass mm. so that it, you know, one o'clock in the morning, it, it was filled with, you know, that beautiful light coming through the glass, but it was a New York city nightclub in a gay neighborhood. And it was like debauchery one Oh one. And um, there were drugs and alcohol and lots of sexual activity, probably. I never went. Um, and what's, what it's old is new again, because what I found is in the Middle Ages, there was a mock religious festival that took place in the church that was created by the subdeacons, which are kind of on the low status end mm-hmm. of church personnel and it was called the feast of fools Ooh. and this was christianity and it was done around christmas time oh. for a few hundred years until it was completely suppressed in the 14 or 1500s and let me read you a quote of somebody who wrote about what this was a grotesque degradation of various church rituals and symbols and their transfer to the material bodily level Gluttony and drunken orgies on the altar table, indecent gestures, disrobing. <laughs> I think Alistair Crowley would have liked that. <laughs> so what now, I mean, as odd and dark as that is, it was a way of blowing off steam and making fun of the church. And it was it was a the beginning of a type of comedic response. And when I remembered the mm. limelight, I was like, same thing in a way. Ah, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 not disconnected and it was to me that's an, that's another like answer perhaps to the abuses of religion maybe. Mhm. Or at least conceptually in terms of the limelight. I don't know how literal that is, but I think it was pretty literal that it was in a deconsecrated mm-hmm. church. Um so that was a shift in the Middle Ages, but then it it kind of swung back again when the Reformation started, mm. and um, there there was a return to the disdain for the body, and that the assumption that laughter was simply vulgar. So you, I um, wonder if also because of the whole um, disdain for the the body, if if that idea of women and hysteria come from some of that too, and. And, you know, how women would, I mean, I know sometimes the hysteria was not necessarily because they were laughing, but you think of hysteria and hysterical and, and, and they're, they're in our culture, I have noticed, um, if you laugh too loud in public, 
it's not really allowed. People start getting very nervous. Even if it's just simply you're having a good time, you're not necessarily, you know, having a psychotic break of some kind. Um, well, of course, how would I know, you know, if I'm having it? But, but yeah, there's a limit to, to how much you can laugh in public, which I can understand maybe other emotions, but laughter, I, I don't understand why that's dangerous. Well, that's interesting. Um, and you're right. What I thought about when I was thinking about the swing and the pendulum back and forth in Europe in that in, in that environment was I thought, you know what? <laughs> Life was very hard. And I wonder if some of the humorous expression that would naturally come out of people might have been scornful or derisive or sarcastic because life was so hard. And that could have been a reason to want to suppress it or to find it unacceptable, maybe. Well, you know, you have to wonder too, um, when you look at certain religions and what they uh, focus on, even like with Christianity, if you're looking at the religions that focus uh, on the crucifixion and how wow. serious that, I, you know, that imagery is very, very serious. And I get that it can mean other things and I get that, but imagine that's your main thing you see a lot of. I, I don't know how anyone could really find anything you know, hopeful about that in a sense. I mean, hopeful about the resurrection, like the stories of the resurrection. But I've always found that to be a very personally, very disturbing image, even though I wasn't raised in a religion. It's like, I don't like looking at it. And, and you wonder if, if, you know, it is, it's also what religions want you to focus on maybe because I, you know, I have met, um, for whatever reason, it seems like Zen people often have a good sense of humor. And I don't know if it's in the teachings or not, but some of the Zen priests and people I know that are really into Zen have been quite humorous and have a very good sense of humor. And I don't know, again, if that's, I'd have to, I'm not a Zen trained Buddhist, but I do notice they often seem to have a good sense of humor. And in fact, a lot of Buddhists do seem to have Though there's definitely the serious side there too. But but I wonder, you know, how can we, if we have this information that we know humor can be very healing and very uplifting and 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 that spirituality can build community communities, how can we um get religion to get behind this, you know, and say, <laughs> you know, guys, we're taking ourselves a little too serious. You know, let's, let's, <laughs> let's lighten up a little sometimes. And, and, and not that you take life's, you know, you take life's lessons to heart, but that doesn't mean we can't do it with, with, um, we can do it with joy because mirth and, and joy are part of humor. Yes. And um, that's why I think the science behind laughter is kind of amazing. When that, you know, thank God for science and and modern laboratories. <laughs> um, there was even another study that I found that was done at Northwestern, where they took um, again. This is more wellness, but it just supports what you just said. Um, there was a bunch of patients who had Parkinson's disease and they at Northwestern is in Evanston, Illinois, which is about 22 minutes uh, from Chicago. Uh, And uh, they brought in second city improvisers uh, for 12 weeks to the Parkinson's people. And they gave them a test at the end and it significantly improved their quality of life. Wow. And 
that is both the improv of stepping into the unknown, but there's a, that it, it releases a capacity for joy and an embrace of mistakes, quote unquote. Uh, and it gives rise to a lot of comedic, absurd situations. So it, it's, a, it's, it's used much more in healing environments. But I did become aware um, when I looked at Hinduism. And now, although I didn't go to the Art of Living ashram, I did go to another ashram in the 90s. I was part, like seriously part of an ashram, even though now um, I... I believe it was because I, it was a, maybe a past life memory of being comfortable in a cloistered environment or something, because when I think about it now, I really don't want the control of a guru. Um, but it's the, it's the decision I made at the time. And, and there's some really lovely things about being in an ashram environment. And in Hinduism, there's a real tradition of, acting out fables and morality plays and doing puppet mm. shows and having actors kind of come on stage wow. and, and acting things out. And it's very lighthearted and very wholesome and really lovely. And, and because there's a lot of uh, ritual and jewels and jewel tones and sparkles and candles and incense and quartz crystals and stuff, it's sort of a very theatrical environment. And the other thing I remember my teacher, and this is pretty standard for other paths as well, would tell us these tales that were often very funny. And she would use uh, Sheikh Nasruddin. Sheikh Nasruddin is a kind of like a stock character for that type of storytelling in an ashram environment. And he's kind of the dunce of the universe. Hmm. And he um, makes all kinds of mistakes. He's the one who gets scared of a snake and then realizes it's just a piece of rope. And um, he's, he's supposed to be the stand-in for us mm. <laughs> at our least conscious moments. So we can laugh at him and the silly things that he does, but we're kind of releasing that and laughing at ourselves at the same time. Um, the other thing that I, I noticed just from my own experience about Hindu and ashram environments is that there's so much humor in Autobiography of a Yogi by Yogananda. And it's sprinkled throughout the book. And one of the stories, I've read that about four times, I think. And there's one story that Yogananda tells about the cauliflower thief that his master, his guru, could see through his remote vision, they were off walking somewhere. He said, oh, somebody's stealing a cauliflower at our home. Um, and the, the master kind of redirected the guy somehow mm -hmm. <laughs> so that he only took one cauliflower instead of three <laughs> and then kind of lurched off. <laughs> and, the, and the telling of it was really funny. And the kind of the lesson that the master told Yogananda was basically, yes, we're spiritual and we're on this path, but you still have to lock the door. <laughs> your, your vibe is not going to protect you necessarily. <laughs> yeah. I like you know. that. Well, it's, it's neat. I like the idea of the characters that come into religion 
Um, and they're there. I mean, there's the whole archetype of the trickster yes. in a lot of indigenous cultures or coyote is one of the ones. And tricksters can also do other things besides humor. Uh, but I was trying to think about popular deities that were completely associated with laughter. And the only two I could think of, I had to look up the name, the spelling was the Greek goddess Balbo who's part of the Demeter Persephone story. And she's like this really vulgar goddess that basically came to Demeter when Demeter was so upset and she stopped everything from growing and they didn't know how to get Demeter to allow things to grow again. And she meets this really vulgar goddess that tells jokes through her butt or something crazy. <laughs> and, and, and so I remembered that from Women Who Run With The Wolves because she mentions her about this, this goddess that made her laugh again. And then, of course, there is the um, Hotai, who's the Japanese Shinto god. Everybody knows that laughing Buddha. That's the Shinto god and oh. associated with happiness, laughter, and the wisdom of contentment. I, I, I remember thinking, like, who is, what is the name of that, that Buddha that's always laughing with the big belly, you know? <laughs> and so there's a couple. But, but again, you, you wonder why... Um, there aren't more of equal status. And, and you think of all the famous, whether you're looking at the Greek or you're looking at Irish or they're very serious, these deities. And there's a lot of like jealousy and there's a lot of fighting and love. And, but the humor is not as, as strong. I'm wondering if, if perhaps it will be a sign of our evolution when humor becomes more powerful in the deities themselves, that, that we worship more humorous deities than less and and does that mean we're, we're really getting it then <laughs> you know, like. i'd love to see that i i hereby declare that that is the truth <laughs> I, I mean i'm at, at fault in that area too i said you know what I, I have to admit i my my deities have love and compassion but some of them that i that i really work with are kind of serious and it made me wonder if that was always a good thing to be invoking some of these old, for instance, some of the old pagan deities. Is it a good thing for our psyche? Do we need new gods and goddesses? <laughs> Can we just invent them? <laughs> yes, I think so. Um... <laughs> Why not? You know, someone had to invent the original ones. <laughs> That's how I look at it. Oh, what a great idea. Inventing gods that are humorous. Um, yeah, I think I'll... I'll take a crack at that myself <laughs> well you know this, huh. this whole topic it's great it got me thinking about where I have my shadow with this as well and and you know how do I do something that is meaningful but has a sense of lightness though I do think there are some teachings for instance in Buddhism Michael was uh, we were talking before the show our last show was about the ego and not taking the ego so seriously and yet still doing the work with intention and that the ego is one of the problems, whether it's a deflated or inflated ego. And, and that sense that we believe that's so real, that, that that's, you know, like I'm real and I'm important, you know, or I'm not important. I'm really, I know Lama Kathy was saying some people are really good at putting themselves down like that. That's another way of, of saying, you know, I'm, I am the best at being the worst, she said. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> badge of honor for some people so <laughs> but uh but anyway that's that's just you know what makes you start thinking about how can we improve the and and, and because i think there's great things in spirituality i wouldn't want to be without some of the tools of spirituality and 
And I'll even go so far as even some aspects of religion, cer certain religions I like, and others I I'm afraid I, I just don't think I could. <laughs> they, they would kick me out anyway. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I feel the same. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think there is some, I find there's some pleasure, like when I was at the ashram, even though I left it, there was real pleasure at, for me, at the reverence of, of hooking into something that had awe and wonder that is not so overly serious, but it is a different vibration than humor. Mm -hmm. And I loved that kind of really reverential because, because there's some kind of respect embedded in that, that I loved and that is deeply altruistic at its best and really loving and really compassionate and that's very caring mm -hmm. in a detached way somehow yet. Um, so I think that there is the, those are to me, the enjoyable aspects of spirituality that don't always involve humor, but I agree. It's uh, I wish it was more prevalent. I feel like there's a, there's a bias that even today in just solving, you know, getting into problem solving mode about the world's issues, there is a sense that it's got to be taken seriously. It must be handled seriously. But I wonder if I feel like the brainstorming around the solutions needs to not be so serious. Well, that idea of play, that... Yes that we as adults, sometimes we forget how powerful it is to create through the play. And, and that is something spirituality is good at pointing out that the universe has a sense of play. Yes. And, and that, it, that sometimes it is humorous play, but the idea of just play itself and, and really allowing that space to open up. I agree with you completely. Using that, that word can sometimes shut down the creativity that's necessary for these, you know, these problems are complex. A lot of the big yeah. problems are complex. They are. And I mean, that's, that's why, that's why I like, that's why I like doing the work that I do also, because I think that that playfulness is really important. Um, and I, I feel like this also connects to intuition and allowing, you know, allowing play to access intuition as well. I think those are connected. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, and then I think we have access to solutions and intuitive hits of wisdom that we can't even get close to if we're shut down in intense seriousness. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and of course, it's okay to go through serious moments and to have those yeah. deep, serious um, things happen. That's part of being human. It's just not maybe that being the only tone that we have in life that, that we, at some point, even amidst like the pandemic, mm. I realized I needed to laugh more. And so Michael mm. and I have been binge watched at least, um, two major comedies. We watched the office, which we'd never seen. And, and there were scenes in there. I love physical comedy. Yeah. And it, it was so healing. And um, so that idea that, you know, at some point as a human being, like, okay, I've been in this like serious state, I need to balance it. I need to find some humor 
and I'm going to find it in what, what makes sense for me because it'll be mm-hmm. different. People have different tastes and humor, and that's perfectly fine. Yes. Um, and so I, I think it's not going to take away from spirituality. It's going to perhaps even bring some spirituality back to life. I mean, if you think about a lot of people don't go to religious places anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that personally that's the answer. I don't think we're going to throw away some of these religions that have been around forever, but they need something, a breath of fresh air, something to bring it to life again. And isn't, I mean, humor does that. It brings things, the it, 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 the way you laugh. I know it's very good for the organs, for instance. If you, you can overcry, but you really can't overlaugh. It, it massages you internally. Uh, as far as I, I mean, I'm not an expert. I do remember reading that at one point. And I, I do remember a story of a woman that healed herself. I think she had some kind of cancer um, by laughter. I mean, yep. she was getting other treatments, I think, but she also had a very like rigorous approach to laughter. <laughs> she was going to do it every day and it, and it helped. I saw a similar story to that and I'm not sure it might even be the same person, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, there, there, I've heard of stories like that. And Norman Cousins wrote about that, I think. Um, and there's even a, I don't follow this gentleman, but there's a really well-known Jesuit priest named Father James Martin, who's really good friends with Stephen Colbert and is a frequent guest on the on uh, Colbert's show. And he wrote, Father James Martin incredibly wrote about mirth and the importance of mirth hmm. in spirituality. It's not something I've read. Again, I'm not really, but I just noticed that. And, and Colbert, who is, I don't know if you like him. I mean, he's not everyone's taste, but he is very funny and mm-hmm. he's really intellectually yeah, gifted mm-hmm. and sort of unapologetically Catholic. That's true about him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they, it can go together. <laughs> so they can go together. Yeah. Um, there's, um, there's a movie I wanted to mention too, speaking of, you know, really fun movies to make yourself laugh. I got a chance to meet the filmmaker in 2008 in New York. Her name's Nina Paley and she's an animator and she created this incredible feature length film called Sita Sings the Blues, which is about the Ramayana, the great. So Mm. there's like these huge pieces in Hindu literature, the Mahabharata and the Ramayana. I might be butchering the pronunciation. But the Ramayana is Rama, Lord Rama's journey, and his wife is Sita, and they were exiled. And it's this fable or true story that's told in in Indian spiritual literature. And she did a feminist retelling from Sita's point of view. Mm. And it's funny. (laughs) And she used a blues singer recordings from a blues singer from the 1920s as a way of providing commentary. So she'd have Sita sing mean to me, (laughs) you know, about being kidnapped and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, And, and it was really interesting because the Indian community or the Hindu community did not like the fact that this woman made this film. There's an article about, intellectual disobedience Hmm. and the fact that she sort of had the gall to take on something a a classic of indian literature like the ramayana 
and had the gall to look at the woman's point of view. And of course, that made me love it even more. Sure. I thought, you know, this is fantastic. This is a postmodern way of looking, kind of a revisionist, but interesting way of looking at something. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that that's one of the areas I don't know how we can address um, is where groups take things very seriously, even to the point where, you know, in some situations, not common that they're willing to kill people for, you know, violating, you know, certain things about the religion. And, and of course, it's really contradictory to most of their, their teachings. And so, so the idea that, I mean, people can definitely have their own opinions about whether or not something works because humor can fall flat. I mean, it can be, I can say something, I think I'm being humorous and it really doesn't hit the note because I didn't craft it correctly. But to be appalled or, or you know, sort of um, really upset by that is to me one of the issues with spirituality and religion is, again, are, are we taking ourselves too seriously? Um how do we how do we let that happen and and even if i don't agree with it we can say well that's a valid way of of seeing things that that so i I don't have an answer to that but that's one of the the problems i really um get upset about in a sense like you know why can't people do something like that that's also it sounds really creative yes yeah and there were little scenes in the movie where she'd have uh actors who were Indian by birth, but speaking in English. And so with a heavily accented voice talking in a modern way about Sita um, or, and about Rama, he had three wives. No, he didn't. He had four wives and they had three sons and they're just having these hilarious kind of conversations um, about it in this very modern way mm. and oh. sort of on, you know, upending it a little bit. Uh I love that when artists do <laughs> do stuff like that. It's really delightful. Well, it can um, also, uh, the good note is it can draw people in that might not be drawn into reading the classics. That's the other thing they have to look at. Again, that breathing yeah. some life into things so that you have a, a fresh viewpoint and you'll have a fresh audience and mm-hmm. and people will be inspired to look at the original, you know, books and, and teachings. I mean, that I am when I see things like that. Me too. I do the same thing. If I, I might see something satirical and think, oh, I wonder what the original's like, and then have a look at it. Absolutely. So that it is a little short-sighted to think that it's just for the people who didn't like that film to think that it was sacrilegious or something. It's, it's human to kind of look at things through another lens. That's what we can do now. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and that's a good word, sacrilegious, you know, what, what does that mean? What does it really intake to be sacrilegious? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is, you know, to me, it has to be also a clear intention to want to denigrate a religion, uh, to be sacrilegious and to deliberately try to denigrate it and, and mock it. And, and again, so we're looking at a difference between mockery versus humor. And yes. there is a difference. And I, I think for the most part, we can tell the difference a lot of times when someone is mocking something or, or really trying to demean it. That's not humor. Exactly. And if you look again at that spectrum, like from mean-spirited to loving, and when I look at that piece, that's, that's an artist who did that film and an artist with a strong point of view. And there's, there's no intent to demean. There's an intent to review. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I, I like having different voices and different viewpoints of characters. I mean, they do that sometimes in, in regular shows where you'll see a minor character suddenly has a really strong presence and their viewpoint's different. And I, I think that's very interesting, like you were saying, creatively. It's, it's to see uh, what hypothetically this other viewpoint is and to give it a more holistic look then. And, and you know, we have, I guess, a, still a long ways to go with tolerance. <laughs> I, I think you're right, and I don't know either what the answer is to get um, to get uh, humor into spirituality as a more um, in a more obvious way. But I keep coming back to this what it, what feels like the the biggest problem is this the thing that we always fall into is separation, where we feel separate. We feel separate from the divine, separate from each other separate and we uh, this the modern era has done nothing but compartmentalize and silo everything so that we forget that we're all connected and that's where these things get lost in the shuffle where humor falls to the wayside because we forget that we're we're connected I, I feel like there's something there um that reconnection even moments that we can get of wholeness make us then, then it seems natural to have humor and spirituality. And then it seems it's just the same actually as the way in which sexuality has been completely segregated out of spirituality. Mm. To, me, to me, it's almost the same energy where you're like, nope, that's not okay. Nope, that's not okay. It's all that separation. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I, I agree. It does seem like, for, except for again certain particular religions with sexuality but they're more modern like maybe the pagan community embraces more mm -hmm. of the sexuality and and witchcraft but um but i agree with you then then again you're talking about the body and and that one right. of the the things that's consistent in a lot of religions is the idea that there's something wrong with the body and uh that then is reflected with how we treat the earth yeah and i completely disagree with that and it's, it's still something you have to keep unraveling in a society like ours that has that overlay of Judeo-Christian beliefs, even though I wasn't brought up that way, I still experience some of the beliefs of that. And having to really, as you get older, especially your body has so much wisdom, natural wisdom, and it can help you. And it's a good thing. And it's a, a rare thing, according to at least certain Buddhists say, it's rare to have an incarnation and how mm. precious uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the body in a really lovely way that, that you have to really start with self-love. He says you start with the body. And, mm. um, and, and you think it is your vehicle to do everything. You know, you, your vehicle, to, if you want to say, okay, I'm going to be even a nun uh, in this life, but my body is going to be the one that's going to help me a lot. And, and all of us, I think, forget how important and what the, the body does, our feet, you know, how many steps have we walked in this lifetime? <laughs> and I do. And, I, and having to really teach ourselves that the body is a good thing and we can trust the body. But I, I feel like religions have made some, I think, mistakes about the body personally. And it's a, and it's, yeah. And there are pernicious beliefs that remain. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, they get seeded into the culture almost a thousand or more years ago and they kind of remain and people keep living out that karma, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, 
or review or or revisiting that idea is maybe a better way to say it. Now we're getting a little close to the end and I wanted to let people know where they can reach you. Uh, so your website, is that a good start for you? Uh, your website, which is J-D-I-G-N-I-T-E-S.com, J-Dignites. It's, I, I, what I meant with that is like my initials and then the word Ignites. Oh, okay. It's J, J, and now Ignites. I see it. J, yeah, J-D-Ignites.com. Yes. And are, there, are there any other places they can reach you? Um, that's a good place to start. And I'm on Instagram as my full name. It's just a lot of letters. And, and you work primarily with women, is that correct? Mentoring and helping with empowerment, using these concepts of play and, mm-hmm. and exercises to calm the, the nervous system. Um, so you work both, uh, it sounds like one-on-one and also with groups. Exactly, yeah. And um, I feel uh, it's really helpful to just calm that nervous system. And then that pushes some of the debris out of the way. We get into the parasympathetic and that leaves the door open for play and improv. I use improv. I like to tell people I use improv because that can be a little bit scary, but I take care to make it a really safe container. So people don't ever have to be actors to do this kind of work. It's uh, just the exercises from improv to open up the mind and to step into the unknown and then work on leadership skills and public speaking and mastering difficult conversations and using play and humor is actually a really good way of um, feeling a little bit lighter about challenges. And that is part of it is, is bringing light in lightening things up. I was thinking about the word enlightenment and what does light really mean and how humor makes us feel literally lighter. And, and when you really laugh a deep hearty laugh and, and how also, um, in my own experience, if I can laugh deeply with someone, I'm very close to them. Is, is I, I have memories of laughing with certain people in my life. And it, it just stays in my body. I remember it. And, and there's something about being allowed to laugh deeply together hysterically where you just don't even stop and you just don't even know why you're laughing <laughs> after a while. Yes. I mean, even there can, I don't know if you've had this experience, but that can be a close person in your life, but that can even be people on the outer circles of friendships where there's this incredible rapport because it really comes from a a rapport uh, uh, in several ways where you really understand and see each other, really get each other's humor. And it is so beautiful when that kind of laughter happens. And, you know, I have also had the experience on stage and in rehearsal when I was acting of what the British called corpsing, which is you cannot stop laughing. You just trigger each other. And it's like, Oh my God, we're not ever going to get through this scene. That's glorious. I didn't know it was called that. What a great name corpsing. (laughs) Well, well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts about humor and spirituality. And I hope that, that you come back again. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. And thank you all for listening and join us next time as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great and laughing week.